0: A number of years ago, Gary Haugen, the founder and CEO of the International Justice Mission, took a short sabbatical. Away from the demands and noise of daily work, he sensed God directly challenging him. IJM was doing great work, but it struck Gary that much of their effort wasn't so much God working through them as it was their own strained labor, what he describes as prayerless striving. Gary knew what they were up against. IJM faces dark injustice and pain every day. He saw clearly that he and the others would not be able to persevere in this work, at least not with hopefulness and joy amidst all that darkness, if they were not rooted much more deeply in the life of God Himself. Gary sensed that God wanted to do much more through IJM than they were already doing, but they were not ready to receive that good. So Gary began to make significant changes at IGM, not only on paper or in how they spoke about their mission, but literally in the patterns of their daily work. The transformation has been profound. From a distance, it is obvious that IGM is among the most respected anti-trafficking organizations in the world. But if you get closer, you also realize that they've grown tall because they first grew deep. And they continue to do that. IJM's powerful justice work is rooted far beneath the surface in shared commitments and practices that cultivate the inner life in Christ in very practical ways. Today we have the privilege of hearing from Gary Haugen what that's all about. to justice and the inner life, presented by the Christian Alliance for Orphans. We'll explore what it takes to sustain a heart of justice and mercy over a lifetime. Here's your host, Jed Medefin. I'm here with Gary Haugen, founder and CEO of the International Justice Mission, which combats human trafficking and many other forms of injustice around the globe. And Gary is also the author of a number of excellent books. One of them, titled Good News About Injustice, really played a catalytic role in helping me grasp and and feel the truth that one natural and even inevitable fruit of a true love for the God of the Bible is to share his passion for justice and mercy. So, Gary, welcome to Justice in the Inner Life. I am really looking forward to this conversation.
1: Thanks, Jed. Thanks for having me.
0: So before we really plunge into the theme of the inner life, just tell us a little bit about what first sparked your passion to justice issues. When did you start feeling that hurt over the world's hurt and and desire to do something about it?
1: Well, I think I had a sense of sort of the drama of the struggle for justice when I was a young kid. Um, uh, I liked reading history when I was young and came across just the simple biography of Abraham Lincoln and the struggle um, against slavery in America um, and then encountered the story of Martin Luther King Jr. and the the civil rights struggle and so Mm -hmm. those sorts of um, uh, dramatic and high-stakes struggles for what was right felt just right uh, was powerful for me when I went off to college and then it was really when I was in college that uh, my faith deepened, but also the the questions as you are confronted with, uh, hopefully as a college student is, well, how does your faith interact with the suffering that you see in the world? And I started to see more of that just by going off to a school had more of an urban setting, mm-hmm. an urban setting, and so there was homelessness and there was racial tension, um, and the big issue on the college campuses in the early '80s when I was in at university was apartheid in South Africa. And so incrementally I was led with my Christian fellowship there on campus. I was very involved with InterVarsity. Um, it was a, I was led very much to, to take more deeply this inquiry of, well, how are we supposed to follow Jesus in a world that is so manifestly full of human suffering and injustice? And then when I went to, um, Uh, to live in South Africa right after I graduated from college um, I went to go intern with we were trying to solve the problem of the apartheid system in South Africa during the really horrific years of of, uh, 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 the the apartheid system in that country and uh, so that's when I really started to most deeply begin to be immersed in what that struggle for justice uh, looks like
0: I I know that a number of years ago, um, IGM at this point is, is doing tremendous work, people are looking on from the outside and saying, this is just beautiful what is happening, and that you at the same time felt that there was something still significantly lacking. Um, tell us a little bit about the context for that.
1: Well, yes, this was still in the early years when, by God's grace, IGM got up and running. Uh, and I was, however, uh, feeling quite exhausted from the experience. Um, there had been three years while I was still a prosecutor at the U.S. Department of Justice where I was trying to get IJM up and running. And in that three years, all four of our kids were born. Oh, wow! And then IJM is up and running, but now you just have a startup, which is an even more exhausting thing to try to keep going. And so after a few years of that, it's true, we, we were seeing great blessing from God, but I did get to have a, a, a little time off for sabbatical, just a, a few weeks, and I had the opportunity to just take some very quiet time in the mornings, um, and I decided that I would try a little experiment of sitting quietly and just um, going over kind of a timeline of all that I experienced in, in uh, getting IJM up and going, and I... I wanted to listen to God and see if there was just anything he wanted to, to say to me about that. I don't have these sort of uh, audible conversations with God, but things that he would just maybe suggest to my spirit. And really to ask him, okay, God, what clearly was of you in these years of getting IJM up and going? And then also asking, uh, what, if anything, was clearly not of you? Hmm. And rarely does life ever sort itself out in those kind of two uh, neat columns. But I thought if there's clear things that God wants to say here, I at least want to be listening. And so I did take this you know, three hours every morning just kind of um, trying to be still and listen. And in, in fact, I did feel like God came uh, to me with some, uh, some very clear indications. And the number one thing on his list of things that were not of him in these years of trying to build IJM was just summed up in this phrase prayerless striving Mm. because anyone would know who's trying to start something up there's an enormous amount of striving you are working super hard, you are Mm -hmm. chief cook and bottle washer Um, uh, there's all these things that have to be done simultaneously in order for it to succeed, so you're working very 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 hard and what I sensed from him though was that To the extent that you are doing this without prayer, which Dallas Willard defines as talking to God about what it is we're doing together. Mm -hmm. And if IJM is this thing, Gary, that you think you're doing for me or with me or on behalf of my kingdom, you're not talking to me about it as you're striving so hard. Just so you know, I'm not in that. Because really, you haven't invited me into that. Mm. And so that was a, a very um, important juncture for me where I just sensed, you know, I want to make sure that we don't have a single day again at IJM that is of, uh, of prayerless striving. And so that was when we first set up our, our rhythm of daily prayer, which uh, at 11 o'clock, we all stop our work and we just gather for um, 11 o'clock prayer, uh, to talk to God about what it is that we're doing together. So I really do think that over the years, the thing that um, measures uh, in many respects just baseline spiritual health for any endeavor that the followers of Jesus are doing, it comes down to the life of prayer. In that work. Uh, As Mother Teresa said, she she said she couldn't imagine doing her work for 30 minutes without prayer. And so it it made me think, wow, do we have a similar sense of desperate need for God? And um, is that manifest by how much time we actually invest in being with him and talking with him?
0: Mm. That is powerful, Gary. I know that, of course, myself, everyone would see IGM as kind of an anti-trafficking or a justice ministry, and it is, but it's really intriguing to me that you define yourself, at least internally, in a different way. You describe yourself as a community of Christian spiritual formation that does the work of justice. Tell us what that difference means to you.
1: So IJM has organized itself as a community of Christian spiritual formation, which means we're a group of people who have primarily gathered together in order to help one another along the journey of trying to become more like Jesus. That's what Christian spiritual formation is about. Um, And it turns out that one of the fruits of becoming more like Jesus is you will grow in your passion for justice. And so It is true that we are also drawn together by this desire to do the work of justice together and that doing the work of justice actually turns out to be one of the means by which God fashions you to be more like him. And I think, in my experience, the the primary way in which that works is that doing the work of justice immediately just takes you out of your own capacities. You find yourself Overwhelmed by a million things and with no chance of actually succeeding unless uh, God is with you and doing the work um, on your behalf. And um, so we are first and foremost a community of Christian spiritual formation because, number one, we think in order to do the work of justice, you actually need the power of God. Um, we can't succeed in the mission itself, we don't believe, without the power of God. And that was actually manifest fairly strongly from the very beginning, Um, that the forces of evil and violence were just going to be too overwhelming for us, and so we needed to ask God's power to be released. But then we also discovered that there's no way we can actually be the kind of people that we would want to be, we can't be Christ-like in this hard struggle for the work of justice unless we have the the presence of God with us. In other words, the, the struggle for justice is so hard that if you just try to go and do it, there's no way you will manifest the fruit of the Spirit that is being the kind of person you'd want to be along the way. So then we just became very, very intentional about saying, hey, what we really are is a community of Christian spiritual formation doing the work of justice. And so we uh, built in a whole set of, of rhythms and practices by which we could help each other along that road.
0: That's well said. You know, I see that so vividly in the realm of caring for orphaned and vulnerable children. First of all, that the need is so deep, the brokenness so painful that even to persevere we need to be continually nourished by something much greater than just our enthusiasm or idealism right. but, but but beyond just the question of perseverance that, that, as you're saying if we are to be the presence of Jesus if our eyes are to continue to light up when that child comes into the room if they're going to experience the, the love and attentiveness and full presence that they most need more even than the food and shelter and other things uh, we, we have to be drawing that kind of love and life from, from something beyond ourselves.
1: Yeah I think that the, the, the most state the, the most clear rendering of this for me in many respects I think came from uh, Ruth Haley Barton who's written some wonderful uh, books on Christian spiritual formation uh, but it's this idea that we need to do our ministry our work out of the overflow of what God is pouring into us and um, Many of us will be very tempted in this work that we're passionate about to bring to bear sort of our capacities with great passion and vigor, great effort, um, and ultimately, ultimately that just becomes depleting because it's a pouring out that then is never replenished. On the other hand, if our work really is the overflow of what God is pouring into us, that can actually be unceasing. That has no limit, that is not depleting and it actually can manifest itself in joy rather than in fatigue and exhaustion um, and and depletion. So that is what we sort of began to tap into is that if we actually want to be successful in the mission and we're passionate about the mission and the work because we're passionate about the, the people we're trying to care for, we actually won't be able to render good service and good love at all, or certainly not for very long, unless we are continually opening ourselves as a vessel for the filling of God.
0: Yeah, yeah. so so well said. So, so tell us, Gary, about some of the specific things you do at IJM, some of the habits that you've cultivated as a community of spiritual formation.
1: Yeah. So the the first one that emerged was this practice of 11 o'clock prayer. So every single day, everybody stops what they're doing and we gather for prayer for a half hour. Um, So everybody, no matter what their job is, we gather together in the uh, conference room together. And we, uh, first of all, just greet guests who come to to be with us. Um, And then we just ask well what should we be mindful as we go to prayer today and so then people will share well we should thank god because he did this he did that and then also people just share wow we really need god to help us with this desperate situation over here then we write those things up on the whiteboard um and then uh we have one of us um uh, give us about two minutes of silence. So we just sit in, uh, in silence just to allow some of the noise and distractions and self-absorptions kind of fall away. And then um, that, that person will then read a psalm for the day. So we work our way through the psalms uh, throughout the year. Um And uh, and then when they finished reading the psalm, we just pray uh, individually. Uh, well, uh, 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 individuals will lead us in prayer for those things. So that's that's eleven o'clock prayer. So it lasts a half hour, um, and it's this amazing way in which all of us get reconnected every day to the source of the power for what it is we're doing in the first place. The other practice that then emerged a few years later was this sense that God wanted to pour out so much more of his power and his presence with us, but we just weren't sort of spiritually ready for it. You know, the way you, you know, I come home at the end of a work day and I can remember so clearly when my kids were young, they'd want to run and give me a hug or something. Uh, But if I was carrying my briefcase and maybe picked up some groceries or something, I was just, my, my hands were too full with other things to actually even embrace this good thing they wanted to give. And that was also the sense that God wanted to pour out more of his presence and his power but we were just kind of too cluttered with things to actually receive it. So uh, we decided to experiment with this practice of giving a half hour before the work day um, started for just solitude and stillness. And we called it the 830 stillness. And so um, almost 15 years later, this is what we do every single day. Every single day, everyone gathers at 8.30, and they get paid uh, to do nothing at all for a half hour. So there's no conversations. There's no phones or emails or anything. And everyone just takes uh, 30 minutes in solitude and and stillness, either at their desk or they can find another place in the office or go outside if they want to. But it's just being alone, spiritually preparing for the day. So then we, at 9 o'clock, we go to work for a full two hours. And then we break again for that eleven o'clock prayer, um, and then work the rest of the day. Then the other uh, practice we have is every quarter we take a whole day off together for a prayer retreat, and usually have someone uh, lead us in some teaching. We we will study one of the spiritual graces for the for a year. Um, uh, 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 we've been we've been studying things like joy or wisdom or love. Um, This year we're studying trust, and so one of those quarterly prayer retreats, uh, we'll have some sort of foolishness and fooling around and being silly, and then we'll gather together uh, for a time of, of spiritual preparation, get some teaching on the theme from the scripture, and then have an hour and a half to two hours of directed, just silent reflection where you go off on your own, and then we'll come back together in small groups to discuss So we do this every quarter, and then once a year, we gather all of our prayer partners together and our field office directors um, for uh, two and a half days of prayer together. So those are the rhythms daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly that we um, uh, participate in together, and they're just invitations to see how Christ can shape us to be more like him. Hmm.
0: And you also encourage staff members to take, is it one or two days in solitude on their own a year as well? Right.
1: Yeah, so everybody's given one day a year. We're there to go off, just have that time of solitude with God to deepen their own relationship with Him, to maybe have a special time of, um, of conversation or presence with Him, uh, just always trying to affirm with our staff, because if you add up all the hours that they spend on this and that for which we pay them and for which we commit resources, it's saying, you know what? We love that you're talented. We love that you're smart and hardworking. But the thing that's going to actually, in many ways, deliver the most for the mission and for the kingdom is God and for the kingdom of God is is who it is that you are becoming uh, and how you're becoming more like Christ. So we are going to give you. Uh, hours and hours and hours every year uh, to do this, and we're going to do it together with you. And um, it's become, I think, the secret sauce at IJM.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen. And and I, I'm curious how you, I'm, I'm sure there are people who have said to you, Gary, you know, that sounds great. Or, or maybe they don't say this, they're thinking this. You know, they think that sounds wonderful. I applaud you. But they're thinking in the back of their mind, it just feels with all that I need to do, it feels impossible to do what you're describing or possibly uh, just like a luxury that we couldn't afford. H- how would you respond to someone who's saying that to you or you see it in their eyes, perhaps?
1: Oh, sure, and I can feel it myself every day. Mm. Right. I mean, I arrive at work for that 8.30 stillness and I've got that stack of emails that need to be responded to or i got to think through X and Y and Z. But what I've also found is that what is hard about these spiritual exercises is almost always interesting. It's like, what am I really thinking if I were to imagine that the work of justice and God's work of justice is going to be advanced more today by me answering 30 minutes of emails than of actually spending 30 minutes with the God of justice? Is that what I really think? Or let's say I fall asleep during that time. It's like, oh, that's interesting. I'm probably not getting enough rest or... I am agitated or anxious. What is that about? Um, and certainly for eye jammers, if you would know us at all, I mean, these are the most perhaps action-oriented people you would ever want to find. And so it is a discipline, but for those who engage it, and especially if you look at Jesus' own practices, there's this wonderful passage in, in Luke where it says, uh, now more than ever the multitudes were pressing upon Jesus for more of his teaching and to be healed by him. And, and it's like, wow, I can relate to that. Uh, all these pressing needs, they want more teaching, they want more of the work that's being done by Jesus. And then there's this uh, marvelous end to the, to the sentence where it says, But Jesus went to a deserted place to pray. And you can see, even when Jesus was being most pressed by the demands upon him, And they were demands for good things, right? For the teaching of truth or for the bringing of healing. He felt like he needed to go to actually refresh himself in his relationship with God. And so for most of us here at IJM, um, yes, it can feel like, oh, my gosh, I've got so much to do. But if you want to do this with any kind of sustainability, if you want to do this actually manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, and if you want the power of God released in the ministry and not just what the power of Gary can bring to bear, oh, my goodness, you will really start to experience that. Yes, there, is, there are moments when the idolatry of, of busyness and work can sort of be quite tempting. But the longer I think one connects to these kinds of practices, the more indispensable and a great gift they, they come to be experienced. Mm-hmm.
0: Gary, I love it that it is, it is you and IGM leading on these things. Um, just, you know, I think if it were an organization that were known for being, uh, big on heart, but not necessarily professional, (laughs) kind of sloppy, people would say, well, that's what I'd expect. You know, they, they, they do, they're, they're nice people and they have this spirituality, but it's, you know, they're not particularly productive. But I don't think anyone would accuse IGM of being unproductive. It's one of the most professional and well-run organizations and the fruit is apparent and you are, you are testing Jesus' words. You know, if you abide in me, then you will produce much fruit. And, and I think that is apparent.
1: Um, that is and really if, if, uh, It's interesting, too, Jed, just because I'm a reader of the Harvard Business Review, and I swear just about every month there's another article about how it is that people's professional work is actually so much better in its substance when there is Sabbath rest, when there's time away from busyness and the preoccupations of mind and technology, all these deep truths that, that Christians who focus on spiritual formation have been learning about for thousands of years, they all making just actually tremendous sense for the, the most effective organizations in the
0: world. Mm, yes, yes. I feel that deeply myself. Um, speaking of Sabbath, tell us about how you approach Sabbath and, and what, it, what it means to you.
1: Yeah, I, I I have found it just amazing how much deep teaching there is in Scripture about rest, and of course that's what Sabbath is about, right? It's it's this discipline of rest, it's this gift of rest that we actually spent a whole year studying the spiritual grace of rest. It was exhausting, but we, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. What an amazing thing to imagine that there was a God who commanded his creatures to rest. And um, so this is very, very important. And for me, it it has been just critical, number one, to rescue me from the idolatry of imagining that what is really going to advance things is Gary. Just more of Gary. More work, more effort, more cleverness, more whatever Um And it just turns out that so easily becomes an idolatry. So these disciplines by which you pull away from work, you cease your labors, is one of the ways in which I just say, no, I'm not gonna worship Gary and his effort today. I'm going to trust in God. This is especially, absolutely critical for uh, Jan and I, my wife, um, as as a family. Because especially at the beginning, a startup is completely consuming and we have this small family and we made lots of mistakes of me working too much and so on and so forth. But at least we were learning from those mistakes along the way. And we, we actually came up with a, a, an equation of, well, how much time am I going to actually spend away from the, from the family? And to make it super concrete, we decided I should travel uh, six nights a month uh, domestically and no more. And then um, uh, three trips a year overseas to visit the work that would go no more than, than 10 days. And if I wasn't home by 6.30 in the evening, which is when it, it mattered, especially when you had young kids, it, it counted as a, as a night away. In other words, very practical boundaries that would rescue us from the idolatry of just it all depends upon me doing the work. But also preserve the rest and joy of, of our family. So then like, you know, the regular routines of being part of a local, uh, worshiping church and, um, and taking time off for just rest and recreation. All those things have been indispensable, I think, for doing this in, in the long haul and especially for recovering the the oxygen of joy you know we say that joy is the oxygen for doing difficult things and when you get on the airplane they always say secure your own oxygen mask first before assisting others and this is what I've tried to manifest and tried to manifest here with our, our teams is that we need to take care of our own Sabbath refreshment in joy so that we will have the strength to actually go and do this difficult work and I think um, that's been a grace from God.
0: If, if someone's hearing this and saying, "Okay, I really want to take some decisive steps in this direction," but they're at the very front end of that, um, you know that some of these ideas are, are kind of surprising to them. Um, what w- would there be? One or two things you'd say. Start here. This is this is bedrock.
1: I would start with a very realistic um, aspiration for some alone time with God. On a daily basis, um, start with five minutes if that's uh, um, helpful. Um, to say, I'm going to every day set aside five minutes where I am just going to be alone with God in stillness. I'm going to tur- turn off all the noise and distractions and I'm going to be just with the God who loves me. Five minutes. Uh, and if, you know, do it twice a week if, you, if that's uh, uh, the right step. But eventually to try to come up with a daily practice where you are still and alone with God. I think that is um, um, the, the most powerful, I think, initial step because God is just so relational and especially if you're involved in a work that you think is the work of God, like he's called you to it, he's invited you to it, it's his work you wants done in the world. Again, if you're not doing that in conversation with him and in presence with him, it's it just misses the whole purpose, which for him is relational. I always think about, you know, when you have little kids, they always want to help you out with projects around the house, right? They're, they're not actually very good at the projects, but they, they want to help out, whether it's cooking something in the kitchen or helping wash the car or mow the lawn or something. Hey dad, can I help? Can I help? Can I do it? And they like any good dad or or mom will like, well of course you can help. And you find some way. Why? Not because they're awesome at the job, because you just want to be with them. This I from my point of view is is how God approaches all this work of of justice or love or caring for orphans in the world. Is this a thing that he cannot do himself? No. But are we the most brilliant instruments in the world to get it done? No, but it's a chance for him to get to do something with us that matters. And so if we start doing that, can you imagine your kid, he then peels off and starts mowing the lawn by himself or start pretending like this is something that uh, he was intended to do by himself and lifting the loads that are too heavy for him and and, and, and off by himself feeling sort of self-pity, banging at the, at the dry patch of the garden somewhere and not producing uh, the fruit that he wants. Well, and not even hearing the Father's voice anymore, right? Because they're off in their own little pity party in, the, in the, some corner of the garden. That's always the picture for me of like, oh, let's return. Let's go back to the Father. The whole idea was that he wanted to do this with us, anyways. So to me, that stillness of just being with God uh, every day as a discipline. I think God shows up so disproportionately um, with his love and his encouragement that um, it'll pay off big time.
0: Mm. Amen. Amen. So what would you say to someone who's really at the front end of a – what may be a lifetime of work of justice and mercy. You know, there's there's so much enthusiasm today, wonderful enthusiasm amongst millennials, and as well as just, I mean, really, generally in the church. I think it's something that has grown dramatically over the past couple decades. I think your writing and your work have have played a significant role in that. Um, but do you do you, alongside celebrating this fresh rediscovery of God's heart for justice in the church in the U.S. Do you see any places, uh, any words of caution or warning that you would give, especially to, to those beginning in this?
1: You know, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't say it as words of caution or or, or warning, because I think the the enthusiasm, the the, the passion, is all positive and all good. Um, but the question is, do you want to be effective? and actually make a difference for those who are hurting? Do you actually want to be able to do this for the long haul and with joy? Um, I've said before that the victims of injustice and abuse in the world don't need our spasms of passion. They need our long obedience in the same direction. And the closer you get to the truth of injustice and abuse and hurt in our world, the more clear that is to you, that this is a a marathon and not a sprint. So then the question is, what will sustain me in joy for the marathon? Because what tends to be true is that the do-gooders show up late and they quit early. And many of the abusers and the bad guys in our world, they just know this, and so they just wait us out and our spiritual adversary too will just grind us down with our preoccupations with self and our the ups and downs of the journey and so what's needed is some strategy for doing this work of justice with sustainability but also with joy it's not meant to be it was never meant to be sort of this grit your teeth grind it out um Pity, party, how come nobody else appreciates me, sacrifice. Oh, my gosh. God says that it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And honestly, that is what I've experienced. There is grief, there is heartache, there is pain. But done with Jesus and done in community with the body of Christ, there's the opportunity to experience him in it. He is the end and the object of all of this. Um, and the, what God most offers at the end of our lives is who it is that we've become. Uh, he is capable of bringing justice, and he is the, the one who will wet, wipe away every tear. This will all come from him. It's more for us to figure out, well, what is my humble part to play in that? And how can I get to be with him while I'm doing it? Now that will sustain you in joy for the hard work that will actually make a difference.
0: I love hearing the hopefulness and vitality and even joy in Gary's voice. And it is all the more meaningful when we know that he has labored for decades near to the world at its most broken. It is clear that something very deep, very real is sustaining his heart. And the truth is I'd say the very same of every one of the people I know who serve at IJM as well. That doesn't happen just by having a Christian name for our organization or mission statement. It is cultivated by very intentional choices and practices that become habits over time. Gary and IJM set a great example of what that can look like, lived out within an organization that does excellent work all over the world. The choices they are making are costly especially in terms of time. Some might even call them extravagant. But as Gary expressed so well, we simply will not sustain in the long hard road of justice and mercy, at least not with joyful, vibrant hearts, if we are not investing ourselves first in the life and health of our souls. This is significant, life-altering stuff. So I'd encourage you not to move on to the next thing in your day without first jotting down some notes to yourself on what Gary shared and identifying one specific idea you would like to put into practice over the weeks ahead. Gary shared powerful truths, but they only become powerful in our lives when we start doing them. You've been listening to Justice and the Inner Life with Jed Menefit, a production of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. To learn more about the
1: Alliance, visit CAFO.org.